those of you that are my age or older may remember the, uh, the money pit. Tom Hanks, Shelley Long bought a house and everything went wrong. Uh, maybe you've had a, I, I had a, I had an actual house like that for, for 11 years. Much, much, uh, uh, education in, uh, in owning a house like that. Also a lot of, uh, a lot of money. Uh, went out in, uh, in helping do all that. Maybe you've gotten yourself into a project, uh, like that, but didn't really anticipate what it was going to, uh, going to take. I know we always said when, when we, uh, you know, moved into that old house, when we first came to town, we, we were excited to, uh, you know, to renovate this thing and, and our excitement and our money ran out at about the same time, a couple of years in, and, uh, it was just, uh, then we just kept Kept going with what we could when we could. Uh, we start off with with enthusiasm. Maybe you can relate to this, whether you're in your house or or somewhere else. You start off with enthusiasm and excitement about the possibilities, and maybe you 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 think you've got the budget all worked out, but then it turns out to be so much more than than you ever thought it would. And that kind of happens, and we're going to see in our in our parable today, uh, one of them today, that uh, that that kind of happens sometimes in our spiritual lives. We we start off with a with a jolt of energy and enthusiasm, but but uh, there there are sometimes when 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 people uh, may, as they go along, maybe the excitement wanes and and uh, it t- it's taking more energy and time and costs more than than you thought it would. And and today the stories that we're going to look at. Uh, Point to, point to those things. It, today's our last story in the uh, summer of stories. Uh, so uh, that's, it's probably good since it's September. I saw some fall stuff going up out here. And so uh, it, maybe it's uh, technically we're still summer. But um, this will be the last one. Next week we'll start a, start a new series. But uh, I think we've had a, a good time looking at, I, we looked at about a third of the 40-ish stories, parables in, in the, uh, the, the Gospels that Jesus told during his ministry so I hope that over the summer uh, you've learned some things about uh, how God works and, and what, uh, how we li- should live our lives spiritually, live our lives in the kingdom of God. And so today we're wrapping up with, with two parables that Jesus told uh, while he was teaching a crowd what it really takes to follow him. Uh, they, these stories are in Luke chapter 14, at the end of Luke chapter 14, and they're kind of sandwiched in uh, some other parable, in between some other parables. Uh, first is a is a story about a wedding banquet, and Jesus is t- saying the kingdom of heaven is like this, where where a lot of people are invited, even people that are shunned by society, and it, it's a parable all about God's grace and mercy, and and and, and this uh, this love that reaches out to everyone. Everyone's included. Come on in. And then, uh, uh, then there's, there's, uh, what we're gonna look at today, but then in Luke chapter 15, uh, three more parables, all about lost things. Uh, a lost sheep and, and a lost coin and a lost son, so a couple of lost sons actually, and it's all about God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness extended to everyone. Come on in, everybody's included. Sandwiched in between those, though, are several per- verses, a passage and a couple of stories that deal not so much with the wide-open, grace-filled invitation to follow God, but it's about the cost involved in following God. Jesus wanted his followers to consider the cost, uh, to, to know the commitment that they were getting into in following him. So Luke chapter 14, we'll start in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, 
wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, uh, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a, a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So Jesus is drawing large crowds. It says a large crowd is following. Any preacher would have loved Jesus' church growth stats at this point in his, uh, in his ministry. Uh, but, but when the crowds were swelling to the, the largest that he'd seen, it seems as though Jesus is doing his very best to thin the crowd. It's almost as if Jesus' goal wasn't to gather a large crowd, that wasn't to grow a big church. It wasn't to generate a huge following. It wasn't to get a million uh, likes on, on YouTube. But instead, it seems like Jesus' goal was to develop real disciples. The word disciple is, is a church word. You probably don't use it much uh, anywhere outside of church-related, uh, uh, spiritual-related conversations. Uh, uh, even, even then, we usually think about, a lot of times you think disciples, immediately your mind goes to the 12 guys that were following Jesus uh, throughout his ministry, those 12 disciples. And, uh, but, but here Jesus is, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus is obviously addressing more than just the 12 disciples. It says there are large crowds, and so he turned around and addressed them all. But he's talking about disciples. He's talking about the possibility of all of them being or not being his disciples. The term was common in that day, more common than, than how we uh, probably use it today. Uh, many teachers were around, rabbis, and they had disciples or followers. A follower could be another word uh, to use, although there's still more to it than that if we understand. I, I know I've told you uh, uh, many times before uh, in sermons that a disciple wasn't just uh, following a teacher to know what they knew, but the disciple followed a teacher in order to be like that teacher, not just to no information from them to, to learn stuff, but uh, to be like the person and, and to live their lives like that person. And so that's the picture that we should have of discipleship when Jesus is talking about being or not being his disciple. We're not just following him to, to learn stuff, uh, but we're following him in order to be more like him. And in order to do that, Jesus says it's not just this easy thing that we do, it takes work. There are costs and conditions. Disciples are made, not born. We live in a world of instant. We can have hot food in minutes thanks to the microwave. We can send a message around the world in seconds through email and texting. We can find information in the blink of an eye by typing a few words into Google. I don't know if you remember, again, maybe I'm reaching way back. I had a, 
had a clip from a from an 80s movie, and now uh, I'm going to refer to a uh, a comedian from Dave's Gone By named Yakov Smirnov. Anybody uh, remember that name? I, I looked him up. Uh, he's he's still in Branson. So if anybody wants to uh, to check out. Uh, Branson, go for it. Uh, anyway, back in the 80s, I believe it was in the 80s, uh, he was kind of in his heyday and, and uh, he was on, on Carson and, and whatever. And, and he talked about being amazed of a well, big part of his, his act was always being amazed at America and how much greater it was than, uh, than Russia, where he had come from. And, and he'd always say, uh, what a country. But he talked at one point in one bit where he talked about all the instant products that we have. And he said he'd go to the grocery store and go down one aisle and there was powdered milk. Just add water and instant milk, right? And then he'd go down the next aisle and there were powdered eggs. And you just add water and you have instant eggs. And he said then a few aisles later he found the baby powder. And then... And then he said, what a country, right? Just like there's no such thing as an instant baby, there's no such thing as an instant disciple of Jesus. It takes time and attention. It costs more than you might think. And so Jesus wanted his crowd to know what they were getting into when they followed him. He wanted them to consider the costs. The first cost that Jesus addressed uh, was in the area of relationships, right? He started things off on a, on a real fun note. Uh, Jesus was just a, just a, you know, a, a comedian. He said, hate your family. Ha <laughs> ha, let's, let's do that. Hate everybody that's closest to you. And it would have sounded just as brash and cold-hearted to his audience then as it does to us today. Now, some, some siblings, maybe you're thinking, yeah, I got that down. I need to hate my sister. Got it. I'm following Jesus, right? But, I mean, we know that can't be right. Uh, it, Jesus doesn't want us to hate each other. Uh, in other places of the Bible, it tells us that we need to honor our father and mother and we need to love each other deep, deeply and, and we, we need to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ and we need to not exasperate our children. And so, so we gotta, we gotta unpack that word hate. If we look at the Greek word there that's, that's, uh, translated hate, it's, it's a comparative term. It literally means to love less than something else. So it's putting two things up and, and you're going to love one thing more or less than the other. In Matthew 10, 37, uh, it's, it's translated that way. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So that's, that's the gist where Jesus is, uh, is, is going with this. Uh, families are, are wonderful. God created us for those relationships, but our family relationships, uh, even though they are to be among the closest that we have, no relationship, no matter, no matter how wonderful, should compete with my allegiance to God. One of the costs of following Jesus that we have to consider is that he demands priority in our relationships. We must love nothing and no one more than him. And Jesus says, you got to know this. This is, this is a cost. It's not just follow me down the road for a great little inspiring message and then go about your day. This, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow, truly follow me, I've got to be, got to be first. He, he then goes into the, 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 the next part and, and uh, he's addressing that large crowd and, and he says that, uh, that another cost is that they have to be willing, that we have to be willing to reconsider our personal goals and, and desires and dreams. 
Verse 27 uh, says that uh, anyone who wants to follow Christ will carry their cross and follow him. Now that would have been a shocking and powerful image for Jesus to use, probably more in that crowd than for us today, because it was a a regular occurrence for the people in that large crowd, as Jesus is saying, carry your cross. It would have been a regular occurrence for them to see people carrying crosses. And all of them, every 100% of the people that they had seen carrying crosses were heading to their own executions. If I'm carrying a cross, I'm as good as dead. My goals and dreams, anything about my life, the way that I've, that I've been living it, is about to die. And Jesus says, if I'm following him, I'm carrying my cross. Now, Jesus uses uh, a present tense language there. It actually uh, could be, maybe should be translated. We need to read it as, as not just carry a cross once, but it's continue to carry their cross. It wasn't just a one-time death and then it's over, but Jesus is talking about an ongoing voluntary act of putting our lives to death and submitting to the plans of God for our lives. It's been said that a, 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 the person who has nothing to die for has nothing to live for. As disciples of Jesus, we have everything to live for because we've chosen what and who we will die for. True followers of Jesus give their lives over completely for God to use. So carrying my cross means that I'm no longer drawn to following the temptations and the worldly influences around me, but I'm letting God live life through me. I don't know if you've heard uh, of the, uh, the Methodist and then Nazarene evangelist uh, Uncle Buddy Robinson. He lived in the late, uh, ministered in the late 1800s and early 1900s, had quite a, uh, uh, quite a presence in the pulpit and quite a speech impediment. Um, he was uneducated. He grew up in the mountains of Tennessee. Uh, he was saved at the age of 20. And over the next 62 years of his life until he died, Uncle Buddy Robinson claimed to have preached over 32,000 sermons that resulted in over 200,000 conversions. The story goes that one time he visited Manhattan, New York, which was quite different than the country upbringing that he had had, had. and he saw all the buildings and the bright lights and the temptations of the city, and at the church service that night, as he prayed in his noticeable stutter and lisp, Uncle Buddy prayed these words, Dear Lord, I thank thee that I have seen all these wonderful things today, but I also thank thee that I didn't see a single thing I wanted. He wasn't drawn to any of that anymore because he had been carrying his cross for Jesus. When we're carrying a cross following Jesus, earthly desires change and we're drawn to the things of God. Jesus says that he has to be the priority in our relationships and also the priority in, in our goals, in our desires, in what we do with our lives. We have to die to our old way of life as we carry our cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his classic work, The Cost of Discipleship, says it this way. The cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. The cross is not the terrible end to an, other, to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, 
but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, wrote about it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Well, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my life anymore. Jesus told the crowd that day that they couldn't follow him just just on a whim. They had to count the cost. They, They had to be willing to die, not just physically die, although through the years there have been scores of martyrs for the cause of Christ. But Jesus was talking primarily about dying to our own goals and desires, to our own way of life, to the things that the the way we think our lives should go. We die to all that and we submit to him and his plans and let him live life through us. Author and pastor Gary Inrig uh, wrote this in relation to verse 27 there in, in Luke 14. He says, these are strong words, hard to accept in a society that insists on self-realization and personal preference as life's guide. Today, the cross is a decoration or an ornament, but Jesus is not asking us to wear a necklace. He is calling us to a radical and costly identification with him. And so as Jesus continued to teach this large crowd, which may, after these Instructions, he may have been thinning a little bit already, people spilling off the edges. He told two stories, two parables that we read just a moment ago, explaining even further what it means to consider the cost of following him. The the first one tells of a builder who will realistically estimate the cost of building a structure before he starts. It's it's all about uh, estimating the cost and and, uh, finishing well. You don't start a tower not knowing whether you can whether you can complete it or not. Billy Sunday, an old-time pro baseball player turned evangelist, once said, stopping at third adds no more to the score than striking out. It doesn't matter how well you start if you fail to finish. It, it takes dedication and determination and sacrifice. And so we have to count the cost. The standard is high, Jesus told that crowd. It's not for the faint of heart. You need to walk into this relationship knowing what it costs. Just like when you're getting ready to build something, you're going to work out the budget ahead of time. It's, it's the same way when we're stepping into our relationship with God. It's not just on a whim, but we need to know that, the, that, that it's, it takes dedication and commitment. After telling that short story about the tower, then Jesus told another parable, this time emphasizing the cost of, of not following him. So it's, it's uh, uh, certainly foolish to begin something without counting the cost, but, but then the second story emphasizes the fact that we can't delay in choosing. We still have to make a choice. Jesus' second story tells of a king who's being invaded uh, and realizes that his army was only half the size of the invading army. And so he has a choice to make. He can fight or he can make an effort at peace. But he has to make a decision because that army's coming. And at some point, a decision has to be made. There's a limited time to decide. So, So not only do we need to count the cost of discipleship, we also need to consider the consequences of turning away from Jesus. 
He, he wanted his followers, Jesus wanted his followers uh, to, to step into this discipleship thing with their eyes wide open, knowing the results of, of either decision. One, one way or another, choice is inevitable. Not to decide is to decide not to. And choosing not to follow Jesus will mean missing out on the rewarding and joy-filled life of discipleship and following him. And so, yes, there's a lot to it and the cost is, is, is considerable and we need to consider that. But then we need to choose it anyway because uh, turning away also has its own costs. I, years ago, I remember uh, uh, talking with a friend at, at seminary. And he'd been shadowing uh, one of the pastors in his church and learning and kind of an internship kind of thing. And so he was, uh, it, was, it was time for them to go on visitation. And so they went into someone's home, uh, these, this couple who had indicated that, that they had some interest in finding out more about what it meant to become Christians. And so, so uh, the, my friend told me that, that, that the pastor, uh, they, they went that day and sat down in their living room. And, and the pastor went through the, uh, the evangelism presentation, presenting the gospel to them, the couple nodded along the whole time and and the pastor uh, at the end of that uh, asked if they were ready to commit their lives to Christ and they both agreed and said yes yes we're ready and my friend was excited that he's getting to be a part of this thing and people are right on stepping into new life with Christ and and he started to bow his head and then the pastor paused and then he backtracked a little bit and he said oh, let me let me just make sure that you understand what what we're talking about and and he kind of went through a, an abbreviated presentation of what he'd kind of already been talking about and and uh, uh, went through those main points and emphasized the costs as well as the blessings and again he asked if they were ready and they said yes and it wasn't until a, a third time through before the pastor actually prayed with that couple and, and they gave their lives to Christ and they celebrated together. And On the drive home, my friend uh, asked the pastor about all of this and what, what was going on. And the pastor told him, I just want to always be clear that people understand the commitment that they're making. They've got to count. We want them to make that decision. There's, there's, a, there's a limited time to make that. We've, we've, we've got we've to make that decision, but we want to know so that they can, as Jesus said, sit down and estimate the cost. Three different times. I think it's interesting. Jesus is like do, going out of his way to talk people out of following him. I, it's Three different times in, in just these few verses, Jesus tells us who cannot be his disciples. If you're doing this, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot be my... If you don't prioritize him over relationships, I mean, he said it even stronger. If you don't hate your family, then you cannot be my disciple. If you don't carry your cross, prioritizing him over your, your personal goals and dreams and desires, then, then you cannot be his disciple. And then at the very end of that last verse that we read, if you, if you don't give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Just like a, a king surrendering to, a, to an invading army, give up everything you have so that Christ can invade your heart and life. So Jesus says it in the negative, coming at it from you cannot, you cannot, you cannot. Again, sandwiched between these amazing stories about, about how loving and, and uh, grace-filled and, and mercy that's extended to everyone. Uh, but but he's, he's, uh, he's emphasizing from, from that way, you cannot be my disciple. But, but in doing that, he's also saying that if you do those things, you can be his disciples. The standard is high, the cost is high, but the rewards 
are magnificent. To not follow Jesus leads to a life that lacks purpose and direction, filled with guilt and sin, and it ends in eternity separated from God. But to follow Jesus means fulfillment and peace in this life and eternal joy in the life to come. I come back to this prayer of Uncle Buddy Robinson. Uh, over time, I like to come back to it. He, he prayed this on more than one occasion, giving himself fully to the work of the Lord. And I wonder what would happen if, if we prayed prayers like this. He says, O oh Lord... Give me a backbone as big as a saw log, ribs like the sleepers under the church floor. Put iron shoes on me and galvanized breeches. Give me a rhinoceros hide for a skin and hang a wagon load of determination up in the gable end of my soul. And help me to sign the contract to fight the devil as long as I got a fist and to bite him as long as I have a tooth and then gum him till I die. Are you as dedicated a disciple as that? Jesus, Jesus wasn't calling people to a half-hearted, feel-good religion. He's calling us to come and die. He's calling us to be radically dedicated to following Him so much that our lives, our relationships, our goals and desires and dreams, the ways that we might choose to live life, all of that takes a back seat to our relationship with Him and His goals and His desires for our lives. 